across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. And now a word from our sponsor, Rebus University. Get a free video of rapport building and touching during the listing presentation. Yes, the right way to touch and the wrong way to touch. Discover how eight top agents from around the world get sellers to instantly like them while eliminating the competition. Go to hybendigital.com backslash Rebus. That's hybendigital.com backslash Rebus, R-E-B-U-S. Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a great guest today. Mr. Alex Parker from Tallahassee, Florida is on the line. He is rocking it in Tallahassee. He's a 30 under 30 winner and uh, i'm excited to have him on the show so without further ado alex welcome to pat hyben interviews real estate rock stars i appreciate you having me good morning hey uh first of all how old are you alex i am 28 years old will be 29 in august sweet okay and why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you so they can get to know you better yep um originally from uh, upstate new york from a very Small farming town uh, outside of Syracuse. I uh, was born and raised there. Uh, graduated high school um, from Casanova High School in 2005, and then ventured uh, as soon as I graduated, ventured right down to uh, Tallahassee to enroll at Florida State University. Had some family members uh, uh, in Tallahassee, so it was kind of a good fit for me. Went to Florida State, and then in the summer of 2007. My grandfather, uh, who was the broker of the current real estate company I worked for, kind of enlisted me and was was uh, you know after me to get my real estate license and explore real estate with him. And wasn't overly interested uh, in the beginning because I was a you know a sophomore in college and wanted to do more of the the pool parties and you know summer hangouts than really get my real estate license and work in the summer. But um, he kind of pushed me towards it and. Definitely one of the best decisions uh, I made in my life. I had no idea back then in 2007 it was going to be such a, an influential decision, but um, got licensed when I was a junior at Florida State. December of 2007 was when I officially got licensed and then just started uh, running with real estate from there. Really kind of became full-time even as a senior um, in college, was still working full-time um, on the real estate side and then graduated in in 2009 and, and really, you know, just hit the ground running and kind of haven't looked back since. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can appreciate that because I got in the biz at 21 right after college myself. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's a great time to get in the business. So, okay. So um, where are you now? Like how many houses did you sell last year? <clears throat> um, last year. So we do units down here, um, you know, a unit for the listing and then a unit for the, uh, for the buyer side. Right. Yeah, um, that's cool. Everybody yeah, last, does that pretty much. Yeah. So. so I don't track the exact houses, but last year I did 196 units. And over the past two years, since going back from uh, January 1st, 2014 to 
uh, December 31, 2015, I did 452 units for 43 million in gross sales. Wow. Yes. Okay, so that's pretty amazing. Now, I know you have a different setup as far as, you know, team and how you got to 192 units. So before we get into the hows, like, what is your what is your operation? You know what I mean? Do you do all yeah. that as a solo agent? How's it work? No, one of the, the big, big struggles for me um, in the beginning, what I would really challenge a lot of uh, new agents to do is that in the beginning, I was so focused on I wanted to do all this work, but I didn't want to give any of the work up, and I wanted to do it all myself. Um, and I have a mentor that probably gave me some of the best advice ever, and he said that if you continue to do work that you know you can pay somebody $10 an hour to do, you are in turn paying yourself $10 an hour. And that was kind of a wake-up call for me that I needed mm. to, if I wanted to really grow my business and expand, I had to enlist people that could help me you know, do a lot of the tedious and, and um, paperwork and, and stuff that really was more, you know, I don't want to say not necessary to progressing, but was just the kind of the, the, the noise, if you will, um, of the business. So that was a big thing for me was learning how to give up work so I could go get more work. And my niche is pretty simple being that um, I'm in Florida and Florida has been the poster child for uh, bank-owned foreclosures over the past you know, really 10 years now. When I was graduating, I kind of came into a unique opportunity where, my again, my grandparents had started a real estate company and they had uh, uh, been in the world of bank-owned properties for quite some time. My grandfather was a real estate developer in South Florida and came up to Tallahassee and as a way to retire, they started handling foreclosures for banks. Um, you know, back in like 94, 95. So when I came around in 2007, really 2008 and 2009, the market was falling out. And I kind of saw right away that if I was going to break in, I had to do something different. Um, I could not compete with the realtors in my community. And Tallahassee is kind of a smaller community where there's a lot of, you know, good old boys and a lot of the business is done on past relationships. And I knew I was never going to be able to compete with that as a, you know, senior in college and having really, really no experience. So Saw the market really starting to fall out, so tried to take what my grandparents had kind of started and build on from that. And essentially, we've had contracts with a lot of the big banks, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Bank of America, Citi, J.P. Morgan Chase, that when they foreclose on a property, we act as the local realtor to take possession of the property and then ultimately sell it for the bank. So, Right. So um, would you say all 192 were, were foreclosure properties? Um, no, I wouldn't say they're, they're all of them were, I'd say probably about 75%. Um, you know, as the foreclosures have started to dwindle, I've been working to kind of diversify, um, you know, right. what, what my you business think, has been. Do you think that dwindling is going to continue on? Um, or do you think it's going to, because, you know, uh, about four years ago, you know, we had the same thing happen. They dwindled and then all of a sudden they popped back up. Do you think that's going to happen again? Or do you think this dwindle is permanent? I think the dwindle is permanent for now. I mean, we are starting to already see prices go to places that I didn't think were possible this quick. But when you look at where we are now versus four years ago, um, the big thing I think is everybody's secure with their job. So people are buying. Back in 2012 and 2011, people were still kind of nervous of, you know, are they going to have a job in a year or two? And, and when you have insecurity like that, people are, tend to shy away from large purchases like a home. So I think with job security... And with interest rates, I'm refinancing some of the uh, student rentals that I own, and I'm looking at a 30-year fixed at 4%. So I think Smart. as long as you know you can get money that cheap and people are secure, 
the market for uh, housing is going to be strong. So I, I think, I think that's more I a, think that's smart. I, I do student rentals <clears> too, and uh, I think one of the, my big mistakes that I regret is back in two thousand eight. You know, when everything was falling apart, I panicked and I paid off all my mortgages just as like, oh, yeah, cash. You know, I just yep. want to be I just don't want to have I just don't want to have debt. And and now looking back, I can't get regular mortgages anymore because because they're all in LLCs and just the way they're set up. So I have to get commercial loans to take money out of them. And they're at like 5.29, but they're variable. So so they're not locked in. And I used to have. 30-year fixed mortgages. So I think it's brilliant. If, if you can get 30-year fixed on all your all your rentals uh, today or in the next couple of years, I think that that's going to be an extremely smart move that people aren't going to be able to do in the future. Yeah. And um, real quickly on that, what I did is I kind of went to a local bank um, probably about four years ago and kind of said to them, I want to move all my deposits to you guys. I want to send you all of my referrals for pre-qualifications on the residential side. But as I get ready to buy investment properties, I want to know that because you're a local bank and you have, you say you have common sense lending, we can kind of leverage that um, relationship, you know, for some of these loans. And that was another one of those good, good decisions. Um, how many? That can, I made. How many will they give you though? Um, well, I so what I do is I originate them on the commercial side, um, and we go in and do full renovations on them. So what we've set up is actually purchase price plus repair cost on an eighty percent LTV. Will they give you more than ten though? <clears throat> On the commercial side, it's unlimited. It's yeah, when yeah. I moved to but, when but I moved the to residential. Rent. Where they give you more than ten? No, you know, okay. Ten, ten is the cap. They've got an investor yeah. that does ten. So what I've been doing is originating them on the commercial side at a five and a half percent, five one arm on a twenty year note. Yep. And then refine them um, on the residential side at four percent, getting ready to close yeah, on I'd, two I'd, of them. I'd there. max all ten, and then I'd I'd try to get more. So let's get into some yeah. nitty gritty. Um, okay. So so what's your GCI on that hundred ninety two units? You know, I'll be honest with you, again, a little bit different. I don't actually calculate my gross commission. To me, I think too many people lose sight on the business side and the personal side of real estate, and they become so focused on the money side that I think it drives a lot of their decisions. So I maybe am a little bit different, but I actually don't even calculate that per se um, or really even focus on how much I make per transaction. My mindset has always been if you do the deals, the money will be there, and I just – I'm more focused on how do we get new clients, how do we keep the clients happy do, do, than I do, really do am. You pay, do you pay yourself a salary? No. So I don't, I don't have an S-Corp, straight up 1099 and just get paid, paid directly from the broker. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. All right. So, you know, you've been doing some smart things. You've been buying student rentals. You, you've been um, diversifying into more traditional uh, deals because we know foreclosures are dissipating, Slowing. so to speak. So um, what are you doing to, to do that? What are you doing to transition from a, an REO agent to a traditional agent specifically? Yep. Um, you know, a lot of it is pulling on the past relationships that I've had with REOs. So a lot of, um, you know, in, in, in working with buyers, I think it's important to not take any buyer lead that comes in and just try to run with it, you know, blindly. And I think that was a mistake I made in the beginning that anytime any buyer called, you know, I didn't ask, do you have a prequal? Do you have a proof of funds? Do you have the capacity to buy? I was just so excited to have a buyer lead that I ran, you know, stopped my day, opened up the house, and a lot of them never came to fruition. So as the foreclosures start to slow, what I'm doing is kind of going back through um, 
my contact list and, and reaching out really to investors. I think my focus is more so on the investors. I do work with, you know, owner occupants on a referral basis of friends and, and, uh, um, people I know that are, are genuinely serious about it. But a lot of my focus has been, how do I go back to these investors and create value for them in this new market in the same way that I created value for them, you know, during the crisis, whether it be buying them a bunch of, uh, are helping them buy a bunch of rental properties for the retirement portfolio. We were involved, or I was involved in quite a few flip properties. Um, so a lot of that, you know, kind of turning your attention is where is the market heading now and kind of how do I position myself in the same way that when the market was falling out in 08, 09 was positioned to do that. And I think a lot of it now is going to be really trying to figure out ways to buy properties that are not listed on, on MLS. Our market is just so flush with buyer demand and cash right now. Inventory levels are just, I mean, I never thought I'd see inventory levels this low. Um, how, this like quickly. how low is low? I mean, it's, you know, I listed a Freddie Mac foreclosure um, back in January available only to owner occupants. And I had 29 offers within 48 hours. And and how many of those were bullshit? How many of those were... were Everyone were, was above list price. And we no, I mean, how many were like investors that were pretending to go no, get, to get a were, divorce? And, and They were they only really owner... Weren't. They were all owner occupants because I'm very, very... I mean, I one of the things with me is I think coming from New York is I just don't take people's stuff, if you know what I mean. So I made it very clear in the email, if you even try to pose as an owner-occupant and you're an investor, we're going to fry you. So don't even okay. don't even try. So how many did you have? You had how many owner-occupants? 29 offers. That's amazing. We were listed at 89000 and we sold it for 136 cash. Holy dirt. Now, did you did you think you underpriced it? Well, we didn't. We actually didn't suggest that price to the bank. We told them it was worth 125 And for whatever reason, they listed it at 89 and don't really know where they got that valuation from, but they did. But our market, even on the fair market side, um, it's it's just everything. Anything that's appropriately priced is having multiple offers. I mean, there's just no way uh, no way around it. Hmm. So it's very 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 interesting down here in our local market. So right now. what are you going to do? What what do you what what are you doing to to get business uh, in such a tight listing market? We are well. What I'm doing is, is everyone is so focused on the MLS, um, and that's kind of where everyone's attention is now. So I want to get away from that. One of the things we've started to do is really actively pursue the courthouse sale step, uh, courthouse steps sales, where the banks actually um, complete the foreclosure process, and it's an it's a public auction for the foreclosure. So we've started tracking those, and we are starting to raise some capital where we can go in and actually bid at the courthouse steps to acquire the properties before the banks take them back, which in turn doesn't uh, means we don't have to compete on MLS for the inventory. So that's really the big project that we've got in the pipeline now is really raising capital and saying, you know, anytime a, a foreclosure is put on the MLS, it's appropriately priced. We have five or 10 offers. So let's get that inventory before the bank takes it back and then bring it to the market to MLS and get you those multiple offers, but you're in the seller position and not in the buyer position in that instance. Hmm. Interesting. Very good. Very good. Okay. So, you know, I'm sure in a short period of time you've been doing this, you've seen some, especially with foreclosures, some, some, a ton of houses. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in a house? The weirdest thing I've ever seen in a house. To be honest, I walked in on a marijuana grow house one time. Um, that was pretty weird to walk into the bank had foreclosed on it and we knocked and nobody answered. So we had the locksmith there and, you know, we opened it up 
and this thing was set up as just all the windows were blacked out and there was uh, just material everywhere to say the least and all these big machines. And it was, I mean, it was a full blown operation center. It was crazy. And it was in a nice neighborhood, which really more so, uh, more so blew my mind. But the thing with foreclosures, I think that's important is they don't, what'd you do with that? We just, I mean, we took pictures of it and then the bank sends their clean out crew in and you know, who knows what the bank's clean out crew. So yeah, just, uh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It it was, I mean, they had this, vertical hydroponic system that was like this big wheel probably six feet tall and it just all it did was rotate and at the bottom of it it had like a pool or like a tub of water and it would just rotate and get the seeds wet and then keep rotating up and down i mean it must have had two three hundred you know seeds in it or plants that were getting ready to sprout it was, i mean it was it was thousands of dollars of of uh yeah and um, clearly someone thought or unless they were squatters <laughs> you know that uh, they didn't they didn't anticipate you coming. I mean, usually you don't just have to you know post notes on the door and everything. I mean, when that's what yes we I mean we did we you know we posted uh, you know hello we're here on behalf of the bank you know please respond to us we're we're willing to offer cash for keys I and mean, we want to even though you haven't paid your mortgage in three four years we will pay you to move out which is wrong in and of itself. Um, but nobody responded and then we showed up and it was just very you could tell it had been left like they kind of left in a hurry. Um, but it was just, uh, it was a surprise to say the least. And I think the clean out crew was quite happy about what they walked up on. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You whatever got an I, but, added bonus there. Yeah. yeah. But, the, but the foreclosures really don't discriminate. I mean, again, we've, I've sold a $10,000 house and we, um, you know, just sold the other day an $815,000 foreclosure. So they're kind of everywhere, um, in between. So I really would like to say we have seen it all. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So uh, what kind of technology are you excited about right now? Um, you know, whether it be an app or, or software that you're using? Yeah, we're, um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit old school that I was taught with my grandparents. But I, I would say I think a lot of people become realtors, become so focused on trying to maintain this cutting edge of technology that they lose focus on the business side of it. And they're just they're trying to reinvent the wheel every time. And, you know, they have something good, but then something new comes out and they chase that. And, and the problem with technology is that you can always be chasing it because there's always something new. So where I'm going with that is it might be a little boring, but our most advanced, if you will, or um, really the, the biggest key to our success is Dropbox. Um, I've got a team at the, you know, really at the height of it, we had about seven of us that were helping me manage. So I was kind of the REO team leader, if you will. And I had some admin and some runners and some other agents to help me um, with the pre-marketing side of the listings. And really, ultimately, my main focus was we have, at the height of it, we had about 150, 160 foreclosures um, in our inventory. So my main focus was, how do I have a team of seven of us? How do I share information in a way that if an agent has a question on a property, they don't have to stop me, make me stop what I'm doing to answer, you know, to give them information um, to the question they have. So Dropbox really helped us fill that gap of we be, I became so hyper focused on efficiency. I mean, that's my, my main thing. I say, no matter what you do, be efficient at it. When you tie your shoes in the morning, be the most efficient shoe tire out there. So you don't, you know, we don't want to waste time. Um, and what we did with Dropbox is we set it up in a way that each file and property and folder was listed in a specific manner. I won't go into too much of that boring detail, but what that allowed us to do is 
everybody knew where to look for the answer to the information. That was really key for us to be able to process in 2014. Um, I did 256 and a half units in 12 months. To do that type of volume and have that support staff, it means everybody has to be clicking on the um, same, wa same wavelength. And that really boils down to everybody knowing where to find information. Because when you have, you know, 110 properties on the market, there's questions on them. If I had to stop and answer each question every time, I would get nothing done. But Dropbox really allowed us to kind of create this free-flowing uh, source of information, if you will, and allowed everybody, no matter where they were um, on the team, to jump in and answer questions in an efficient manner. And I really will say that Dropbox is worth its weight in gold when it comes to uh, you know, allowing people to, to share information. And, and outside of that, I really don't get too technical. Again, I, I think a lot of realtors are just so focused on having the most cutting-edge technology that they lose sight that buyers still want personal interaction. And that's, I think, been another big pillar to my success is making buyers feel like they're my only clients because I, when I give them my attention, it's my full attention. And, you know, Dropbox, it's never broken for us. So, you know, why fix it? Now, are you collecting a, a list of, do you have an investor list that you go direct to whenever you get something new now? Yeah, I mean, you know, my list is honestly pretty small. I've got a good group of, of guys. Uh, I've got really got about three of them, and I can bring them just about any project now, um, and they're on board. I have one investor in particular that I brought him a Bank of America um, property last year. It was a flip property up in um, a town a little bit north of us. And long story short, 2,300 square feet on two and a half acres, uh, four bedroom, two and a half bath. And I brought it to him and you know said BOA selling it. And long story short, we ended up uh, purchasing it for sixty five thousand. Put another seventy in repairs into it, so we were in it for about one thirty. And then I uh, put it under contract um, before we even hit the market for two thirty, and netted him about ninety thousand on that flip. And after that, he kind of just told me, you know, whatever project you want to do, I fully support. So you know, I, I've got investors I work with, but I've found that if you can narrow your investor network down and you don't need a lot of investors. And I think that's the other thing people too become so focused on is they, they want to have quantity and not quality. My thing is I'm happy with three investors because I know if I bring them a flip, I can get equity in it. If I bring them a property that makes sense, they'll buy it. And just, you know, tightening up my investor network really has allowed me to do more deals than, than just kind of, you know, throw so relationships with them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's pretty cool. So you so you bring them a flip, and then you you say, hey, I'll put up half of the money, and you put up half of the money. And we can do it together. Well, I actually don't even put up any of the money. What I say is, I want equity for the fact that I'm going to identify the property for you. I love renovation. That's kind of the other side of my whole life. Is I love renovating, and all my student rentals were built in the 50s and 60s, and we go in and and do full renovations on them. I got a little. Um, kitchen remodel company I run on the side because I just love, you know, taking ugly things and making them look good. So I go to these investors and say, you know, I'll help you identify the property. I'll do a kind of site management, if you will, oversee the repairs. I've got my full network of contractors and subs. I've got a general contractor who I run everything through. I'll manage that for you. And then once it's done, I have a marketing plan where I'll, you know, essentially resell it. And for that, I want equity in the, uh, in the deal. X, you know, I want X percent of, uh, of net, net profit. So it works well because I don't have to put up debt. I don't have to put up money, but I'm able to get equity through um, through the work that I do. Right, right. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. 
Okay, so so how do you do that? You know, I mean, isn't that tricky? Isn't isn't, isn't that? Are you, are you allowed to do that? I mean, like, are you part? Do you, do you are you part of the LLC that actually buys it? So then you become the buyer as well, like uh, with that. Yeah, but, you know, either become part of the becoming one time we did that where I became part of the LLC, even though I didn't put up money because it's all cash. So there's really no yep, liability yep. on that sense. Okay, um, became part of the LLC, but. You know, really, if I help them identify a property and resell it on the backside, when I say that I kind of help with the general contractor, um, so we enlist a general contractor. It's a guy I know that does all my renovations and whatnot. I don't do actually any of the work. Um, and then all I do is bring the general contractor's number to the owner, to the investor, and say, are you happy with this? He says, yes, I approve of it. And then, boom, we implement the repairs. Okay. Yeah. As long as you got your legal ducks lined up in a row, it's a cool thing to be able to do. So talk to me about your student rentals. Now, I, I do student rentals because because I get above market rent. I can charge per bedroom versus per house. You do exactly. the same thing? Yeah. So Florida State is, you know, I, I love Florida State. I went there, graduate, as I said. And, and going there, I really realized that there are – there's a lack of what I call high-end detached single-family student rentals. And I know it sounds like a mouthful, but all of the apartment complexes in our town, and our town has seen hundreds of millions of dollars in recent development, a lot of hedge fund money come in, but all of the really nice stuff is in the apartment complexes, the granite countertops, the stainless steel appliances, the new cabinets, the hardwood floors. It's all in these high-rise apartments, but the high-rise apartments don't have parking. They don't really have space. And I saw that Well, going there, kids wanted houses. They wanted backyards. They wanted driveways to have their friends over for Super Bowl parties, to have pets and things like that. But all of the houses were really just these rundown, really weathered uh, rentals. So what I've been doing is going into these houses and replicating this high-end student rental in the single-family market and really kind of tailoring to the kids that come from South Florida or Tampa that – you know, we're really brought up with a higher end lifestyle and that want to maintain that lifestyle through college. And honestly, the parents are willing to pay for it. So the answer to your question is yes, I'm able to charge a per bedroom rent. And then that collectively allows me to rent it more for the house than I would if I was just renting the house out by itself. Mm. So people kind of told me I was crazy in the beginning that I'd never get this money and that, you know, these rental rates and why would I put all this money into student rentals and they're just going to destroy it. I've found quite the opposite. I have waiting lists for my rentals. And honestly, if you give students a respectable product, they seem to respect it more. And it's really kind of weird. And I, you know, people are like, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But it has worked. And one of the other things I do is I include a cleaning lady once a month in my uh, rental services. And she comes in once a month and does a deep clean. And she's kind of my eyes and ears inside the house and, you know, says house looks good and, and they're keeping it up and everything like that. But um, I mean, I've got six student rentals over by campus, all walking distance and, you know, really have very limited vacancies. And I've not had any yeah, students walking distance is the key. So what, what, what are your returns on there? Like, uh, if you buy, what's the average price of one? Um, so I bought two in January, um, that were 125,000 each. And then we put another 25,000 in repairs. I'm actually finishing up the repairs now into them and they will rent um probably so one i have leased for august for 2150 a month and then the other one i have leased uh august 1st for uh 1800 a month yeah yeah so Bingo. We're, that, we're averaging that's about awesome yeah averaging about 600 to 625 a bedroom and my, my big thing is i don't really again being that i came up during the the market fallout 
I pay attention to equity because obviously that's what it's in the end it's all about. But I don't make my financial decisions based on equity. I look really at cash flow. Yeah. What is what is my debt servicing? What can I rent it for? Um, and you know, does that number work? And to give you an idea, I've got a five bedroom over by Florida State um, that I bought last year that I get three thousand a month for on debt servicing of twelve hundred bucks. And I'm actually about to refi that and drop that to about nine fifty. Yeah, and that's brilliant. And um, now they they pay you one check just one time, or do you have to collect from each one? So I have five individual leases. What I tell them and the parents is that you're renting the bedroom from me. Any damage to the bedroom, you guys are responsible for, and think of it as that you're sharing the common area. Mm-hmm, right. And I have, I have parental guarantees on all of the leases so that, you know, if the kids were ever to bail, I've got the parents on them. And I've found this new website that I am in love with. It's called cozy.com. Yeah. See, I use it myself. Yeah. It's it, awesome. Yeah. It's all, I mean, that, that's changed my life because I was trying to track down checks and do all that stuff. And, you know, it just gets to a point where it's, it's too much. And cozy has been, I think just, it's actually cozy.so. Uh, CO. Yeah. yeah, yeah. CO. Cause yeah, I think yeah. it's Canadian or something, but yeah. Um, but yeah, anybody that's in student rentals would highly, highly, highly recommend that that will change the way you process payments. There's a, there's also an app and I don't, it's on the tip of my tongue, but, um, there's an app you can find if you search for it, where, where your, where your student rentals, where they can share all the utilities. They can even share rent if they want it. It, it kind of allows them to, you know, put it all through the app right into, you know, one account and then the bill gets paid automatically through that account. So hmm. there's, there's. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. Well, yeah. well, listen, this has been awesome. You're doing some neat stuff. I think you're taking some really smart steps in the right direction. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day today, Alex, to come on the show. I'm going to put all of Alex's information on hybendigital.com backslash Alex Parker. That's hybendigital.com backslash A-L-E-X-P-A-R-K-E-R. Alex, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to leave our audience with today? Nothing other than for kind of new people out there, there is no substitute for hard work and and don't fall into this trap of that technology will make you, you know, will will get you away from being able to work hard. And I really, really attest, you know, the success I've had over the, you know, first few years in real estate to working hard and understanding my market. I think if you do those two things, you really work hard and you understand what you're selling and, and to the point where you're able to really recite valuations and neighborhoods and stuff off the top of your head you know there, there really is no limit in real estate for what you can do and how much you can make and i think that's what keeps keeps me waking up every morning awesome buddy awesome well listen if i'm ever in tallahassee florida i'll definitely look you up and we can break some bread together awesome that sounds good i appreciate you having me on the show well i hope you've enjoyed this session of real estate rock stars i'm pat hyben and i appreciate you spending time tuning in for some rock solid advice I encourage you to take action on something that you have connected with. These insights, along with goal setting, will help carry you to achieving your destiny. Visit hybendigital.com for resources, how-tos, ebooks, and so much more. Also, reach out to us on Twitter. My handle is at Pat Hyben. And don't forget, Rockstar Nation, keep rocking. And now a word from our sponsor, Rebus University. Get a free video of rapport building and touching during the listing presentation. Yes, the right way to touch and the wrong way to touch. Discover how eight top agents from around the world get sellers to instantly like them while eliminating the competition. Go to hybendigital.com backslash Rebus 
That's hybendigital.com backslash Rebus, R-E-B-U-S. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.